to read a verse, and it's a, it's a theme verse. It's not a verse we're going to study, but it's a theme verse, and I'm going to come back to it a little later tonight. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. It said, instead they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And then it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That verse just really hits me. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll help us to understand how you want us to be, how you want us to act, how you want us to work. Uh, so that we might be pleasing to you and you might not be ashamed of us. For I'd ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody wants to be cowboy, it seems. There's something that's stuck in, in, in humankind that says cowboys are a good thing to be. Uh, and not that every woman wants to be cowboy, but every woman wants to know a cowboy. Uh, and... Uh, the reason I know that is from writing westerns, because I get all sorts of letters and things. And I, I know the westerns are popular. They've been translated into German because German people want to be cowboys. They've been translated into French because the French people want to be cowboys. And they've been translated into Indonesian because I guess the Indonesians want to be cowboys. They've been translated into Chinese. I don't have a clue why. But uh, people like being cowboys. We have some good friends that are in a, a western singing group, cowboy singing group called Sons of the San Joaquin. And uh, they were doing, it's not country music, it's cowboy western music. And they were doing a uh, public service kind of thing over in Yemen. Uh, you know, the State Department put on a cultural exchange, and they were over there singing cowboy tunes in the country of Yemen. And uh, uh, one day the, the political affairs officer came into the hotel and said, all Westerners, all Europeans and, and U.S. people should stay in the hotel. There is unrest in the streets. There's going to be some violence. We're just confining everybody to the hotels because we don't want you to, to get in trouble. And they looked around. And he said, except for you three cowboys, because they were dressed like me. He said, you three can go anywhere in the town anytime. You're heroes to everybody in this town. It won't make any difference to them. <laughs> but the rest of you Europeans and, 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 and Americans need to stay in the hotel. See, everybody uh, likes cowboys. One time I got a knock on the front door, and... Uh, a man with a very broken accent was there, and he wanted to know if I was Stephen Bly. I said, yes. And are you Stephen Bly that writes the Western books? I said, yes. He introduced himself. I don't remember his last name. Ivanov. Yuri Ivanov. And he is the uh, president of the Wild West Club of Siberia. <laughs> and uh, uh, once or twice a year, I think twice a year, they get the club together. They have 200 members. They get the club together. They all dress like cowboys. And they watch John Wayne movies, you know, because they, they like being a cowboy. Now, I said, I said uh, the ladies like to know cowboy. Uh, I, I mentioned this to some of you in a conversation earlier in the week, but I'll repeat it now for everyone, and that is I wrote a series of books uh, called The Austin Stoner Files about a New York City editor. It's a contemporary series, a New York City editor and an Arizona cowboy. And she comes out. She's looking for a manuscript. She has to hire this guy, Brady Stoner, to help her. And there's three books in the, in the series. I, I love the series. It's a great series. And, and women enjoy the series, and women love Brady Stoner. I can't count how many letters I have received from ladies all over the United States who say someplace in the letter, oh, by the way, if you know any single cowboys like Brady Stoner, could I have his phone number? 
And in fact, I got a letter from a middle-aged lady back in the Midwest, and she gave me this line. She's laughing at the end of the letter. Oh, by the way, if you know any cowboys like Brady Stoner, you know, could, could you give me his phone number? And, and uh, two weeks later, maybe only a week later, I get a letter from her 14-year-old daughter. And her daughter says, I am totally embarrassed that my mother wrote you that letter. She says, it, I, I just couldn't believe that she would put that in a letter. P.S. Do you know any teenage cowboys <laughs> like Brady Stoner? And could I have his phone number? So in a way, everybody likes cowboys in some way. Uh, they become a, a, a national symbol and a national hero of sorts. Yesterday... Uh, morning or uh, whatever morning that was, Institute's from maybe that was whatever morning I spoke. I talked to you about how to think like a cowboy. Uh, tonight I want to talk about how to work like a cowboy. Now I, uh, I could tell you how to dress like a cowboy. Uh, you got to wear a resistol hat, a felt hat with a horsehair hatband. You got to have a shirt that's long sleeve. You've got to have a big silver belt buckle. You've got to wear Wranglers, not Levi's. You've got to wear Wranglers and Justin boots. Now, if you've got all of that on, you'll be okay, at least until you straddle a horse. Uh, you'll be okay. But I'm not going to tell you how to look like a cowboy. I want to tell you, talk to you this evening about how to act like a cowboy, how to work like a cowboy. Uh, and if your person likes to take notes, this is good, because I think that these principles I'm going to give you right now are going to work in your life. And I think they're going to work in the life of your company or your organization or your ministry or whatever you're involved in. I think this is a biblical way that we need to approach our life of service to God. And so I'm pretty excited about sharing this with you, but I'm going to frame them with that idea, the, the uh, how to work like a cowboy. Here's the first rule. Well, I'm not going to call them rules. Let's be like uh, Johnny Depp in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And there, was, there was a code, but it's more like guidelines, okay? And so this is more like guidelines for work. Okay, not a code, not a rule. Here's the first guideline. Remember that you only have one boss. One boss to please. When you're a cowboy, the boss is the old man. Doesn't matter what his name, what his age is, doesn't matter anything about his background, the boss is the old man. And that's what you call him. It comes from the Spanish patron, uh, meaning old man, and the patron or the old man is, is the boss. But you only got one boss. You only work for one person. You only have to answer to one person. The scriptures say in uh, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, I want you to see how having only one boss simplifies your work. You only have one person to please. And lo and behold, that person is not your spouse. You don't work for your spouse. You don't work for your kids. You don't work for the person who signs your check. You work for that one boss. You do what God wants you to do. He's the only one you're accountable to. The only one you have to follow. You've got one boss. 
And if you get up in the day and you end up the day pleasing him, you've done it. That's it. That's what I'm supposed to do today. I've got one boss to work for. It simplifies how you approach each task. Here's the second point. The second point is to work like a cowboy. You not only have one boss, but you travel light. You travel light. I don't know if you've thought about it, but you can't take a whole lot with your horseback. You, uh, you can take your canteen strapped over your saddle horn. You roll up your slicker and put it on the cantle. You can slide your carbine into the uh, scabbard alongside. And if you're lucky enough to have a little saddlebag, you can put your fencing tools in there, but you don't have much. Uh, it's always kind of funny in the movies when they get to camp and the cowboy riding his old horse gets out and pretty soon he's got a coffee pot and a pan and a skillet and all this stuff. And you think, where did he have all of that? Anyway, well, it, it, it's the scene setter who ran it out and put it there in between shooting scenes. That's where it came from. But cowboys travel light. Here's a verse. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. That means traveling light. There's two things that you get rid of in that scene. That scene, of course, and you've heard it explained before, the scene is about a foot race, and it's how to run the race, and you throw off the garments that slow you down. And in those days, garments were long and flowing robes, and they're pretty hard to run in, and you get rid of that. But the verse says there are two things that slow you down. One thing that slows you down is sin. If you're going to travel light, if you're going to work like a cowboy, if you're going to travel light, you've got to get rid of the sin that slows you down. That means lots of confession, and not just confession, but confession and repentance. Repentance means stop it. Doesn't mean just be sorry about it, wish that you hadn't done it, but you're going to do it again. Repentance means stop it and go the other way. So one of the ways that we can travel is get rid of the sin in our life. And sin is like barnacles on a boat. You just you you scrape it down, you clean it off, and you get in the water again, and there's some more. And you have to scrape it down, clean it off, and you get in the water, and there's some more. So getting rid of sin in your life is a, a long process that we keep, keep working at. But the other thing that verse says is that you get rid of anything that slows you down. I mean, the garments wrapped around you aren't necessarily sin, but they entangle you, and they hinder you from getting your work done. So if you travel light without those hindrances, if you travel light without those sins, you're going to get a lot more work done. Okay, time for a review. You're going to work like a cowboy. You've got one boss, and you're going to travel light. Here's the third thing. Take on the tough jobs. Take on the tough jobs. Don't look for the easy jobs. Take on the tough jobs. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a tough job. Taking up your cross is, is not easy. We have a tendency when we start out as a work ethic and as a work principle, some of us might have a tendency to look for the easiest job. We've got three things to do. Let's do that one first. I can get it done quick. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't take a lot of thought. I want to tell you to look for the tough job because if you're going to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, it is tough. A cross is either a place of sacrifice or it is an instrument of death. And that is tough. An instrument of death. I've I got to admit to you, I never really understood what it means to pick up your cross, your instrument of death, and follow Jesus until 
I found out I had cancer. And then I knew what it was like. Because every day I pick up my instrument of death that I carry within me. And I follow Jesus. But the cross can be a place of sacrifice. It can be an instrument of death. It's tough. It's hard. It's not easy. Pick the hard task. You want to work hard like a cowboy? Pick the hard task. There's nothing easy on a ranch. There are no easy jobs. They're all tough. They're all dirty. They're all sweaty. They're all tough. Take on the tough jobs. Here's the fourth principle. The fourth principle, eliminate every excuse for holding back. Eliminate every excuse for holding back. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 22, But Jesus told him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. You know Jesus said that? I don't know if you spent much time with that verse before, but a guy came along and said, oh, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. Jesus said, oh, good, come on, follow me. He said, well, i got to go home and get my parents buried and everything first, and then I'm going to come follow you. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. I mean, it seemed like a good excuse, didn't it? I mean, I love my parents, and I need to take care of them. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, when we're doing the work for Jesus, there can be no excuse. Maybe you've experienced that verse. I've experienced the verse. I'm the uh, only son of the eldest son. I'm the one that the ranch comes to. I'm the one that's supposed to be a rancher all my life. I'm the one that's supposed to take over because my dad took over from my granddad, and I take over from my dad, and I don't have any brothers to take over, just me. And I read that verse over and over and over and over. And then I had to go to my dad and say, I'm not taking over the ranch. i got to follow Jesus. He wants me to do something else. It was tough to say to him. It was tough for him to hear. But there can be no excuse. Eliminate every excuse for holding back. You're going to give everything to it. When he calls you and gives you a job to do, there are no excuses for not doing it. What have we got so far? You got one boss. You're going to travel light. You're going to take on the tough jobs. You're going to eliminate every excuse from holding back. And number five, you're going to choose the narrowest alternative. The narrowest alternative. Life isn't easy, folks. (laughs) You know it. I've sat around listening to you, and as we get to visit, and one of the things that I, that I know for certain, because I've sh- been up front, I've been able to share with you a little bit. I've been talking a little bit about my health situation and my stuff. And I realize that every family here is going through tough things. There are tough things all over this room. You, you, it's not Janet and me. It's, it's all of us. Life isn't easy. It's tough. There are all sorts of hard things that we have to survive and we have to get through. And yet, Jesus tells us, always choose the narrowest alternative that is set before you. Here's how he said it in Matthew 7, 14. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. It seems to me that if we're choosing the narrow way, that we will be going down it alone sometimes, or we'll be going it down with just a few people. You never get swept up into the narrow way. You notice that? 
You don't just get pushed along and by accident you get in the narrow way. Now, that's a wide way. That happens on the wide way. On the narrow way, you've got to pick it out. You've got to look for it. You've got to find it. You've been in the mountains probably trying to look for a trail. The guy said, just hike over this hill. There's a nice little trail that goes down the creek, and you get over the hill, and there's, you can't find it. But there's a trail here. There's a trail here, and you have to hunt for it. The narrow trail you have to hunt for. And if you're going to work like a cowboy, you're going to pick that narrow trail every time. The big, wide, broad trail, everybody goes down that. Everybody goes down that. Boy, I have enjoyed... Uh, just a few days of listening to you and your stories and your ministries. <laughs> I've enjoyed uh, listening to uh, the ministries that have been prevented, presented to us here, the Harvester Ministry. And uh, that's a narrow trail. <laughs> that's a narrow trail and a needed trail. And, and uh, Brian and the baseball ministry, that's a narrow trail. Not a lot of people doing that. That's what you got to look for. you got to look for the narrow trail that Jesus wants you to go down. Stay away from the wide one. What have we got so far? Well, we've got half of that, uh, those guidelines. Remember, you only have one boss to please. You travel light. You take on the tough jobs. You eliminate every excuse for holding back. You choose the narrow alternative, the narrow trail. Here's the sixth thing. Expect trouble and be prepared for a fight. In John 13, 16, 33, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. In this world, you are going to have tribulation, you're going to have trials, you're going to have fights. I like the way some writers have put it, that we are born in a battlefield. We are born on a battlefield, not, not on the sidelines not behind the lines in a safe uh, army hospital. We are born right out there with bullets flying from both sides. And we spend our whole life in the battlefield. And if you're going to work like a cowboy, and if you're going to have just one boss, if you're going to travel light and take on the tough jobs, eliminate excuse for holding back, and, and choose the narrowest alternative, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have a fight. You're going to have tribulation, this says. Uh, I don't know how we rate this, but if I had asked a show of hands, I'm not going to do this, but if I had a show of hands, everybody who's had an incredibly easy life, how many hands would go up? Not many over 12, because there are tough things that we've all had to go through. Uh, we are in a battle. We have an enemy, and our enemy is well-equipped. And our enemy hates us. Our enemy, according to John 10.10, uh, 10, has come to steal and kill and destroy. Our enemy is defeated. And our enemy, the evil one, is sentenced to uh, life in that eternal fire. But before he gets there, he's going to see how many he can take with him. And he's going to fight us tooth and nail all the way. It's a tough life. And so if you're going to work like a cowboy, if you're going to follow these kind of guidelines, if you're going to have one boss, travel light, take on the tough jobs, eliminate every excuse, choosing the narrowest alternative, you're going to have a fight. Just count on it. You had a rough day today. The battle rages. 
That's part of what makes heaven so wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> because it ain't like earth. It's going to be different. It's going to be a place where there's no more fighting and no more pain and no more sorrow. But here on this earth, there's going to be trouble. Number seven. Set high standards for your work. Set high standards. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. High standards. I like to build things. Uh, just for the fun of it, I built a, a western false front town right next to our house <laughs> called Broken Arrow Crossing. And, uh, and, you know, there's a bank and there's a two-story hotel and there's a merchant mercantile store. And Now, these aren't miniatures. They're just false fronts like a movie set. And there's a, a, a school and a dance hall and a cafe and a newspaper office. I, I can't remember all the buildings, but I like to build things. I like to build things sturdy. Uh, I built Janet a stool so she could uh, get up in, uh, to her cupboards in the kitchen because she's rather vertically challenged. And, uh, and I built her such a sturdy stool she can barely pick it up <laughs> and move it. Oh, but it's sturdy. It'll never break on her. She might spring her back if she moves it, but why do I do that? Because I'm still building things for my father. My father taught me how to, to be a carpenter, be a plumber, be an electrician, <laughs> be a tractor mechanic, and a lot of other things he taught me. And I still think of him, although he's been gone 35 years. I still think of him, and I build for him. When we work in our work, we got to work for our Heavenly Father. We do it for him. Everything we do is for him. Everything we do is done well. Everything we do is to the, to the very best of our ability. Uh, there's no quick jobs, no shoddy jobs, no uh, easy jobs. We have a very high standard of work, and it's doing it unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number eight. Work like a cowboy. This is a tough one, too. Oh, they're all tough. you got to find your rest in the midst of doing the work right. I want to read to you a verse that you've read before, but I want you to listen to it very carefully because sometimes we get a little confused. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We like that part, don't we? I mean, we're tired, we're worn out, we've been trying to do what God wants us to do, and, and we're ready for some rest, we're ready to relax. We're ready to kick back. We're ready to be up there. I had a, a secular professor once tell me he hated the idea of heaven because he didn't want to lay around on a cloud and sleep for 10,000 years. And I want to tell you, at my age, I'd love to lay around on a cloud and sleep for 10,000 years. It just sounds wonderful. But rest isn't that way. Read the rest of the verse. Yeah, burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where are you going to find rest? 
under the yoke of Jesus. What's a yoke? It's, a, it's an instrument of work. A yoke is what you throw across two oxen, and they pull the plows, and they do work. You're going to find rest in the midst of the work for Jesus. This verse does not tell us to go off by ourselves and God will give us rest. It says you're going to find rest in the completion of that work, in doing the work that Jesus wants you to do. Why are you going to find rest? Because the yoke fits you well. Because Jesus is going to put you to work at doing something that fits you. And he's going to be alongside of you doing his part, and you will be refreshed in the midst of work. In fact, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But remember, that's in the midst of work. You're going to find rest in doing the work right. Number nine, don't look back. When you're doing the work like a cowboy, you're not going to look back. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Don't look back. Just keep going forward. Now, that's really tough. It's really tough to do. Some of you farmers, you know what it's like to look back. Uh, you don't even have to have a, uh, an ox pull your plow. You can be sitting up there on a nice big John Deere. But if you're putting in rows and you're putting in furrows and you're driving with your power steering and your cab and your air conditioner and the CD playing, you know, and watching your computer screen and all of that. But if you take your eyes off where you're going and you turn around to see what a good job you're doing, that steering wheel turns and your furrows, your furrows turn and you plow crooked. You can never look back when you're plowing a field. Just look straight up ahead, and that's what this verse is saying. Keep your eyes focused straight up ahead. Don't look back to see how bad you were. Don't look back to see how good you were. I've been reading a little book this week about uh, the mental game of golf, how to get your mind right when you play golf. I have no idea why I'm reading this book, but I'm reading this book. And one of the things that he keeps harping over and over and over again is not to think about the previous shots. The bad ones, the good ones, you just want to set those aside, think about the task at hand, and you're going to do better at what you have to do when you don't look back and see what you've done already. Similar principle. It came right here in the, in the Bible, and that is no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, that's Jesus talking, folks. And I want you to have the impact of that verse. He, just, he is not saying, this isn't a good thing, and you won't be as successful as ministry if you do this. What did he say? He said, if you look back, you're not fit for service. <laughs> Cut and dry. You know, I told you uh, a couple of days ago, <laughs> the, the cowboys are, are uh, practical and... Uh, they're blunt and they're simple. Now, Jesus seems to be following that principle, too, because he said, don't look back or you're worthless. Don't look back on your failures. He's already forgiven you. I don't care how many times you fail, don't look back. Keep going forward. I don't care how many times you succeeded. That doesn't mean you're going to succeed now. Keep going forward. Just don't look back. 
if you're going to work like a cowboy. Now, we got nine of those down, and we got one more. Let me remind you what you should have on your notes. Remember, you only have one boss. You're going to travel light. You're going to take on tough jobs. You're going to eliminate any excuse for holding back. You're going to uh, choose the narrowest alternative. You're going to expect trouble. You're going to set high standards for all your work. You're going to find rest in the doing of the work, and you're not going to look back. And finally, number 10, don't quit until the job is completely done. Don't quit until the job is done. 2 Timothy 4, 7, you know the verse, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Don't quit until the job is completely done. Um, uh, you wives, uh, this is a question for wives. Does your husband have any half-done jobs around the place? Mrs. Bly, does your husband have any half-done jobs around the place? Not a one. Don't quit until the job's done. In 1926, the most popular song in America, <laughs> in 1926, when the work's all done next fall, is a cowboy song. And it was all about a cowboy that when the work's all done next fall, I'm going to go home and see my mama. And as cowboy laments go, as you sing through verses 3 and 4, he has an accident on a horse and he dies and he doesn't get the work done. He doesn't get to go home and see mama. Number one song in America about 1926, when the work's all done next fall. But the cowboy is committed to getting the work done. He signs on for a certain season, for a certain length of time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work the roundup. I don't quit until the roundup's done. I sign on to be in a line camp. I'm not coming down from the line camp until the snow melts in the spring. You don't stop until the work's done. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you don't stop until the work's all done. And, uh, you know, that gives me hope. As you know, I'm, I've shared, you know, I'm uh, kind of in a battle here with cancer. But <laughs> I got some work that's not done yet. I'm sure he's going to let me stick around and get it done. Yeah. Maybe I should write longer books, honey. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you don't quit until the job's done. Uh, Solzhenitsyn wrote in his book, uh, Full Circle, the Russian writer Solzhenitsyn wrote that most people are satisfied with the 85% job. And that is, we set out to do something. We set a goal for ourselves, whether we're going to build a clock, uh, whether we're going to plow a field, whether we're going to uh, uh, read to our children every night. Whatever our goal is, we set a goal. And when we get about 80, 85% of the way there, we nod our head and say, well, that's close enough. That's close enough. But it isn't close enough. The job isn't done. We had a goal up here, and it's not done until we get up here. And if you're going to work like a cowboy, if you're going to work the way the Lord wants you to work, you don't quit until the job is completely done. Let me review what we got here. We got 10 guidelines. I think they help you get through life on a daily basis. I think you help your family with some guidelines. I think they can help your church and your organization and your elder board and uh, anyone else as you think about these ways of doing God's work. 
Remember, you got one boss. You're going to travel light. You're going to take on the tough jobs. You're going to eliminate excuses for holding back. You're going to choose the narrowest alternative. You're going to expect trouble. You're going to set high standards for every bit of your work. You're going to find your rest in the doing of that work. You're not going to look back, and you're going to complete. You're going to complete every task. Now, in order to have a high standard like that, in order to motivate people, you have to uh, have a carrot out there. That is, you have to make it worth a while. Because people are going to say, oh, well, that's, that's a pretty tough standard. Why should I do it? What am I going to get if I do that? Because, you know, I'm human, and I want to make sure that it's worth all that work. That's tough stuff. And if I did everything you told me, what do I get out of it? Here's what you get out of it. I read the verse to you already. It comes in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 16, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Does that work for you? Is that a good enough reward? Well, that's good enough for me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God singling you out and looking down and saying, you know what? I'm not ashamed to be called his God. I'm not ashamed. That's a good enough reward. Why I like to think like a cowboy, why I like to work like a cowboy. Amen and amen.